football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, back here with Sam Monson. We're going through all things Week 16, but first, don't forget, all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight to put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. This deal will not last forever, Sam. It's $40 of value for just 20 bucks, and you get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the U.S. It's Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your 20 bucks, use the promo code PFF today, and receive your P- your free PFF Edge annual subscription. I cannot emphasize this enough. It's going away very soon. So if you've heard me say this before, go do it right now. A lot of good stuff coming out very shortly with PFF Edge. So go do that right now over at Monkey Knife Fight. PFF is the promo code. Also, don't forget we've got the opportunity to get Action Pro. So you subscribe to PFF Elite the annual subscription, use the promo code ACTION to receive a year of elite subscription access plus a year of Action Pro subscription access for just that $100, $199.99. Not $100, $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new betters better. This is a limited time offer. Also, currently only made available through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. All right, Sam, you ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Week 16 in the books. I'm back in the studio. You are. We're back here together. How was no, your Christmas? Not bad. Not bad. Not in, the, uh, not in the parents' basement anymore, Steve. You're in the big time. I've moved up. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. It was a good, it was a good throwback to, uh, to the childhood. But it does mean we're not going to get a cameo from your dad, which is No, my sad. dad is too far away. Yeah. A thousand miles or so. And, uh, we look, could dial him in. We got that technology. Look, I'm, just, I'm proud of the big guy getting... Getting some FaceTime yeah. on the show. I was trying to fix the Christmas tree, which mm-hmm. lasted through Christmas, Perfect. which was huge. There was a lot of people. There was a lot. There was a groundswell of people worried about my Christmas tree. Yeah. And um, they took care of it. It was all good. All right. Let's get through all of the Week 16 action. Don't forget, it started way back on Christmas Day. The yeah. New Orleans Saints, 52. The Minnesota Vikings, 33. Alvin Kamara with a record day. Six touchdowns on just 22 carries, 155 yards. And what a... What a crazy game this was, given he scored all of the touchdowns for the Saints. Taysom Hill had one, but he was the guy he outscored when they the got Vikings, the red zone. And the Vikings scored 33 points. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Fantasy star this week, of It was course. bizarre. We had four games before the Sunday slate, and it took like 15 quarters to get a good quarter of football. Um, the Vikings just got wrecked by Alvin Kamara and the Saints, and... As much as Kamara got all of the touchdowns, got all the joy, it's important to acknowledge the fact that this was the Saints that destroyed the Vikings on the ground, not just Alvin Kamara. You know, if you look at the PFF grading, 
the Saints offensive line graded incredibly as well. You watch his first touchdown run as an example. They just opened up this grand canyon for him to run through, make some magic happen. And, you know, NFL running backs, almost all of them, once you get them into open space, one-on-one with defensive backs, they can do some real damage. Alvin Kamara, obviously, more than most. But that first touchdown run was a great example of how much dominance the run blocking for the Saints had. And that was there all the way through the game. There's a bunch of these plays where, you know, Ramchek is just caving in the entire defensive line by himself, opening up these huge cutback lanes. This was the game where all of Minnesota's failings in terms of personnel came back to roost like in one game. You know, happy Christmas, everything that you sowed throughout the year so far, here it is. Enjoy it. Yeah, so if you have uh, Premium Stats 2.0, all part of your PFF Elite package, you can go see Alvin Kamara have a an 84.7 running a rushing grade and of course there were some questions about how does a guy set a record and only have and not have the best grade on the team i thought this was a perfect perfect example of what we do here at pff and how we're able to quantify the entire effort especially in the run game so you mentioned the saints offensive lineman across the board from a run blocking perspective excellent run blocking grades everywhere on the offensive line other than left guard with james hurst but also including Adam Troutman at tight end. He had 29 snaps as a run blocker. Outstanding across the board. Ryan Ramchek led the way with a 91 run blocking grade. Then you get to Kamara, and he had nine. You know, we, we add up first downs and touchdowns. He had nine total in the day. Six of them were touchdowns mm. of the times that he actually moved the chains. So he actually only moved the chains nine times on 22 carries. Now, he was awesome. Again, he forced seven missed tackles. But to your point, he was getting to the second level like crazy and the one last thing i'll say because it's a for him to set a record it was a a team effort on both sides of the ball because the minnesota vikings front seven did not have a guy grade above 52 from a run defense standpoint so again i think if you're new to pff or you don't understand how a guy could have six touchdowns and not have the best grade on the team it's because there was his offensive line it was the defensive line and then oh by the way kamara had an excellent game but a lot of those touchdowns are given to someone else too also, by the way, a record that had stood since 1929. Yeah, I don't want to take away from it. Like, it was, it was an no, no, incredible thing even, to see. I'm just, it was forget, like, forget the achievement. Just the fact that there's a record like that, which is a relatively simple one, right? Just number of touchdowns scored by a running back or rushing touchdowns. That feels like something that, you know, should change hands relatively frequently, or at least, you know, before 1929. 1920 the guy that broke it was born in 1902 that's or the guy that said it right originally in 1929 uh, ernie nevers hall of famer five-time all pro what do you it, remember about big Ern? yeah 1920s all decade team uh played for the you know famous of course for playing for the duluth eskimos did he make the nfl 100 i probably right can we get gil brant on the on the line here and see if we could get him put back on there if he didn't but um what's interesting is like how completely opportunity driven that record is like Kamara had the six touchdowns and was vultured for one more by Taysom Hill like yeah. they were ba- they basically just didn't give him the shot to get the seventh when he probably would have right or it would have been the sixth at that point but assuming he would have had the extra one blah blah, blah. the point is it's like a hundred percent opportunity driven are you going to get all those shots in the low red zone to just punch it in and he got six of them this time could have had a seventh sets a record that had stood since 1929 when the guy was playing for the chicago cardinals all right unbelievable record set my big takeaway from this though the saints 
show once again that they can win in multiple ways Drew Brees had two picks only one was his fault but he should have had another one anyway his two he had two really bad throws on the day both turnover worthy plays I don't think he missed that much outside of that uh they averaged like 10 yards per uh, 12 yards per uh, attempt in this game ridiculous um so there was some just bad defense by Minnesota and again the Saints whether it's scheming it up or just the ability to rely on the run game in the red zone they have answers the thing I always talk about with balance on offense yeah the Saints don't really have a great downfield passing attack but they have a lot of answers and uh, a lot of answers for opposing defenses including Kamara on the ground this was a fascinating week for you know you said something before we went on which is you know did any game this week mean nothing um in terms of like playoff implications all this kind of stuff there was a bunch of games where it's not that it didn't mean anything but a team that won or lost usually a team that won it's very difficult to take anything from it because it was so there was so little to glean from the the particular encounter the game i'm talking about in particular is the one up next tampa bay absolutely slaughter the detroit lions and you're like well what the hell do you take from that for, for tampa bay right we've been talking all season long about they just want to work out all of their issues before you hit the postseason and you know a week before it was in a hole what they relied on was the talent of their skill position players and they got it done like this week the lions were a just a disaster they lost their quarterback and like all of their coaching staff either before the game or in the game's first few minutes and now you're like well what i mean it's just a complete and total beatdown with zero resistance and you literally it's 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 a scrimmage it's a waste of time for tampa bay other than it improves their seating i i think it was obviously it was a beatdown and detroit was was overmatched at the same time brady was making some ridiculous throws in this game Every, not everything was wide open there were some tight window throws in there as well um I just thought he threw the ball extremely well. So speaking of of records, that how are they still standing? Norm Van Brocklin, yeah, the, uh, passing game record. How is that still the record? Five hundred fifty four passing yards is the record for passing yards in a game. Do you know what Brady has in his last four quarters? Which is the second 600 half, six hundred and something, six hundred sixty eight passing which yards, which is a record. It's like the most ever for over a four, yeah. over a four quarter span. So the last two quarters of the Falcons game in Week fifteen. He threw for 320. Right. And then in this game, he threw for 348 plus another negated 30, by the way. Which just So further, he's essentially, by the way, he's thrown for like 700 yards over the last four quarters. 668 yeah. officially. Which further emphasizes how is that still the record? Right. Like how, if there's that much room over the top of that in terms of just modern capacity for passing the football, how is that still the record for a single game passing performance? In this era of garbage time yards where quarterbacks are racking up 300 yards in the fourth quarter just desperately chasing enough a no hoper game norm van brocklin's performance is still the single game record you would think that that would fall i'm amazed point. consistently that that hasn't fallen yet my so my other my take the one thing i would take away from this game is i think mike evans who has battled injuries the entire game looks healthy and looks like an absolute weapon and i think the bucks i mean they went into this game like they were playing a Detroit team that had no coaching staff and what uh, Brady's average depth of target was 14. It was they a were attacking down the field like crazy. It's not it's not going to be this easy week in week out, but I think it, again it shows the potential of when you have Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown, Gronk and all these dudes who could get down the field, they're dangerous offensively. So, um 40 47 to 7 bucks over the Lions. Of course, my other takeaway too is this is why Brady went to Tampa Bay for the two the two dome games late in the year. Don't have to play outdoors. He can zip it all over the place at 43. Pretty impressive what he's doing at 
his age, isn't it? Yeah. That's crazy. 43 years old and uh, now 36 touchdowns this year and throwing it down the field more Which is than a Bucks ever. record. Like you yes. set, set Tampa Bay's touchdown record in this first season. The thing, the thing I just want to bring up, though, is I think when we, when we look back at Brady's season, and I think because his worst games have been on primetime and national TV, people don't think he's played well this year. Yeah. He has played extremely well this year, and he's 43 years old and all that stuff. But in a Bruce Arians offense where he's had to throw the ball downfield more than ever, he's not getting – his sack rate's about the same play for play as what it's, it was in New England – pressure rates the lowest a Bruce Arians quarterback has had in our database so there's a lot of things that he is actually changing and adjusting at 43 years old which is incredible we just haven't seen stuff like that when you look at the PFF top 10 <clears throat> top 10 of quarterbacks um, Brady and Matt Ryan are the two who have been sort of screwed the most by their supporting cast if you look at just the, the simple comparison between PFF grade and passer rating, right? PFF grade is an attempt to isolate what the quarterback is actually doing. His throws in isolation versus whether they're caught at the other end or not, whatever, right? Just what the quarterback is doing. Passer rating is the offense, the whole thing, right? Did your receiver catch it? Did he make yards after the catch? All those kinds of things. So the top 10 in uh, PFF grade are largely the top 10 in terms of passer rating. There's some differences and some crossover but most of those guys have a passer rating up they're almost all over the only one that isn't over 100 is Matt Ryan um, and you know Aaron Rodgers is at 118 Mahomes is at 110 uh, Ryan Tannehill is at 110 these are just before the games have gone uh, have locked from last night but Brady is just over 100 right so his and that's after his game so he's like 10 points worse off in terms of passer rating than a lot of those other guys. Ryan is like 20 points worse off. Um, so just in terms of that basic thing that, yeah, he, the, it's, his perception is being screwed by the fact that the production isn't quite where it should be versus what he's actually doing with the ball. Yeah, and he's actually – he has 11 interceptions and he's – 12 turnover-worthy plays, something right. like that, like a one-to-one. -one I mean, again, you, Mahomes is over 20 in turnover-worthy plays, and, and we saw that turnover luck in the game yesterday. You just go back to, like, those first three weeks of the season, he legitimately had three touchdowns dropped. Right. Like, not just drops, three touchdowns dropped that, you know, that it's still having an impact, right? It's not, it's not the reason that his season is dramatically different from anything, but I don't know what adding three touchdowns to his numbers does, but it probably jumps his passer rating up five, ten points. All right, the second Saturday game on Amazon Prime, San Francisco 49ers defeat the Arizona Cardinals 20-12. to The Cardinals still have a shot at the playoffs, but this is, again, the 49ers, you know, playing spoiler with uh, technically third-string quarterback and C.J. Beathard. You know, he's backup caliber, um, and he played an efficient game. Of course, he ends up with three touchdowns on just 22 attempts. Arizona, though, just cannot get the ball down the field. 4.9 yards per attempt for Kyler Murray in this one. Yeah, the Cardinals offense is not in a good spot right now and hasn't been. It hasn't been for really all season long. We were, you know, talking. They, they, there was a lot of hype surrounding them early in the season because week one, they shocked the 49ers. They go on a little run. They're in a good position for the playoffs. Kyler Murray is putting up some crazy numbers. But all the way along, we were pointing to this idea of, you know, his passing grade has not really gone forwards from where we thought it would a year ago. What's changed is that they've made him a vital part of this running game, and that elevates the floor of this offense so much. What Kyler Murray can do on the ground is phenomenal, 
and that gives you such a high floor compared with other quarterbacks that don't have that uh, ability. But if that passing grade doesn't improve, like there's a there's a ceiling on this. You're now in this really tight band of like you're never going to be worse than this. But if you're not going to be any better than this, you're kind of you're not going to be a great team. And that's kind of what's happened is is Murray hasn't you know kicked on, hasn't developed his run threat has been. I don't want to say neutralized, but it's been diminished as the season's gone on between the injury, between some weird play calling quirks. Um, and even in this game, we saw like a, one really nice play call to get him into space on fourth uh, down, which, you know, he, he becomes a cheat code in the, the low red zone or fourth down or whatever. Right. But they didn't use that much of it. And when that's not working, when that's not giving them everything, they just don't, they're not presenting much to you. I did a, an article a few months back on the, the kryptonite or the weakness for every quarterback. And for, for Murray, it was intermediate passing. It's that 10 to 19-yard range where you look at this offense with the air, air raid ties, right, with Cliff Kingsbury, and there's a lot of short stuff. There's screens and odds, but there's a lot of up to nine yards type of stuff, a lot of short passing concepts. And, of course, there's the deep stuff, and Murray's pretty good down there. But they were one for six, Murray throwing at that 10 to 19-yard level. And it's still the place where they're just lacking a little bit. And again, when you look at the best quarterbacks in the NFL, this is where they dominate. This is where quarterbacks dominate. This is where the best passing offenses dominate, that 10 to 19-yard level. And I don't know if the air raid has figured that area out as much as they need to. And I think that's the, the one thing to revisit. From a 49ers perspective, it's another, you know, Shanahan stitching it together type of deal. I was just tin cup, uh, tin cupped it. Um, since 2018, Kyle Shanahan has had Jimmy Garoppolo as his starting quarterback for 25 games out of ne- after next week it'll be out of 48 regular season games. 25 out of 48, so just over 50 percent. Plus you get the three playoff games last year. How do you evaluate? Because they've been bad as a team. They've had a losing record as a team. Now. It'll be four out of five years, three out of four years under Kyle Shanahan with one Super Bowl appearance in the middle, the one time he had Garoppolo as a starter for all 16 games. I still think that's a a feather in his cap, the fact that he's had that many games without his starter and they still find a way to beat playoff teams and, and be this competitive. There are people that think that Kyle Shanahan should be on the hot seat for the work that he's done. That's let's do given, that. Let's do that on the daily. I, I think that, we need to evaluate that on the daily. Right. Given what you just said, I I couldn't disagree more. I think that the work he's done given the quarterbacks he's had has been this tin cup artistry that deserves, you know, a statue not being booted out of the building. The guy hasn't had high level quarterback play at any point. The, the closest he's come to be to having one of these savior quarterbacks was when he got Matt Ryan who um, turned into an MVP off the bank of a Kyle Shanahan coaching effort. Like, he got Jimmy Garoppolo all the way to the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan is one of the best NFL coaches in the league and just hasn't had the tools to work with and despite that, has his team in pretty good position most of the time. And even this year, you know, Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard has been his quarterback most of the way. And, okay, the 49ers are not going to make the postseason. They're not going to – but they're in a really tough division, and they're still, like, randomly popping up and ruining other team seasons every week. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I've been impressed with what Shanahan's done in his four years there, despite really only that one outstanding season. Arizona, we'll, we'll talk about it in the preview podcast. They have uh, 
they have to win this week and they, you know to, to get into the playoffs. So um, a disappointing effort for them, only scoring 12 points against the Niners. Uh, 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala also getting a lot of praise. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to fluctuate week to week. The Niners have yeah. had some duds defensively, and then they have inspired efforts like this. And I think that's why a lot of people like him as a head coaching uh, candidate. Uh, and we're a week away from all of that craziness happening, right? People getting fired and new stuff. So just keep an eye on that. Now let's get to the, to the Saturday night game. Speaking of crazy, Miami Dolphins 26. Madness. Las Vegas Raiders 25. Both teams, I mean, there was so much action in the last five well, minutes. Well, that's the thing. Forget game. the rest of the game, right? This is like the last three minutes. The last, right, handful of minutes. Let's go through the scenario here. The Raiders are down one. Well, first off, well, hang on. They trade touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. So it starts off, and Raiders hit a bomb to Nelson Aguilar, who, by the way, has become like what Henry Ruggs was supposed to be. That's my line, but yes, he for has. this offense, yeah. and, like Henry Downfield Ruggs threat. has been anonymous, absent, missing in action. Nelson Aguilar has been the the big threat. Absolutely, roast was a Byron Jones on the play. Yeah, runs the length of the field touchdown. Right, Raiders take the lead. Miami comes back, missed the extra point. Yes. Critically. Raiders missed it. So the Raiders and are up six. The, yes. Misses the extra point, And the commentary was talking about the usually reliable Daniel Carlson as everybody in Minnesota is like, <laughs> what? Um, so Daniel Carlson misses the extra point, opening up this madness. Miami comes back. and That's when 356 left, by yes, the way. Yes. Miami comes back. Basically answers, right? That was the Miles Gaskin touchdown? Yes. For 59 yards, he just runs through the defense. This was, by the way, after Miami had benched Tua. Yes. To bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Or did they just give Tua a mental break to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick? Was it a benching? Was it a mental break? Now, we'll talk. We talked about it on the PFF Daily this morning, well, if you guys are we subscribing did. there. We talked about this on the NFL Daily. And critically, also, my Coach of the Year candidate appears to be kicking the ass of your Coach of the Year candidate. You can also find that show on the PFF to Daily. To be fair, the Daily that was the Coach of the Year candidate episode was recorded before this weekend. Precisely. So I have been vindicated. You have been made look a jackass. There's still more time. They're mm. still next week. Anyway, right? go find the PFF NFL Daily. Google that. Google that podcast and listen. Anyway. The Dolphins score a touchdown. Yes. They get the extra point. Yes. So now they're up one. Mm -hmm. So the Raiders have less, you know, they've got a captain a comeback. Derek minutes. Carr gets a shot. He, th he heaves one up. Well, I mean, it wasn't heave. It was a deep pass. You get a 40 plus yard pass interference penalty, which is a little ticky tack. That gets the Raiders into field goal range. Now mm -hmm. they're playing the game. They're down one, and they're playing the game. So now you don't want to score too early. You don't want to score too quick. They had about, what, two minutes left? Yeah. You don't want to score too quickly. You know a field goal wins the game. Your ideal scenario and is And Miami is trying off. to let them score, right? right? There was one point where uh, Josh Jacobs runs up the middle, basically takes a knee, and was it, was it Bobby McCain? The safety is trying to drag him across the line, yeah, yeah, like trying to break the plane of the, of the goal line with the ball, but – no no dice yeah there was a lot of time to think this wasn't a lot of times coaches have to make like quick decisions there was a lot of time to think about this and, yeah in, in like those dolphins knew that they were going to want to let him score the raiders knew that they didn't want to score josh jacobs you know fantasy owners all over the place all upset the whole deal well so the question yeah so then the question becomes what do you want to do with this right you are about to score do you want to kick the field goal or and leave 25 seconds on the clock or do you want to score a touchdown but leave more than that on the clock and I think that's the thing so obviously they elect to eventually kick the field goal right they go up 25 seconds left should be game over and then madness ensues Miami 
you know, Fitzpatrick comes out there, throws the not just no look pass, but no able to look pass because somebody's wrenching his head in the other direction. Um, and Damon Arnett or Damon Arnett goes one goes walkies and just lets this coverage bus go in behind him. So Miami ends up winning, and people are lambasting John Gruden for like, why would you not score the touchdown, you idiot? This was the dumbest decision ever. But I think what people are forgetting is you can't you can't it's not equal right if you're going to score the touchdown you have to do it on third down which gives you another what 35 seconds back on the clock right you can't you can't i guess you could on four you could go for it on fourth down but then it really is do or die right then it's all or nothing if you they're actually going to try and stop you and if you blow it it's game over you didn't even you didn't even take the lead, let alone so, hold the victory. So you're saying the question is, is it better? And don't forget, the Raiders are down one yes. at the time. So if they score a touchdown, presumably they're going to go for two right. to try to just be up seven, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then if you're up seven, and then if you don't get it, okay, touchdown. So is it better to score it. the touchdown that they're going to give you because they're trying to let you score? With about 35 seconds left, you think? No, no, no. It's going to be like a minute. With a minute, right. So okay. is it better to score the touchdown on third down, leaving them about a minute to come back and answer, or kick a field goal on fourth down, leaving them 25 seconds to answer, but only needing... It was legitimately needing, 19, right. 19 seconds. But only needing a field goal, right? So those are your two options. And honestly, when you run the numbers, which the, the data science people have, it's about even, right? Like yeah. neither one of these is a slam dunk. It's pretty close. The edge, if there is one says go for the touchdown because of the two-point thing. You can go up seven, right? But it's not this, like, you know, anyone that's hammering Gruden over this is getting it wrong, right? Well, it's not well an egregious out. decision. Well laid out. I, the biggest thing, just if you guys have not seen the Ryan Fitzpatrick pass, I really, I think it's one of the best passes of all time. It's crazy. I think it's insane. So he's getting face masked. He's getting his face ripped. And for like a while... In slow-mo, of course, it's for... But, I mean, he's getting his face ripped. He doesn't let the ball go until his face is, like, completely turned to the left. <laughs> he heaves it up, and it looks like a prayer. But I think there was enough self-awareness, and he knew the co- he saw the coverage and all that stuff. He gets it, essentially, into the cover two hole to Mac Hollins. Now, the fact that there was a cover two hole yeah. when the Dolphins have no timeouts and there's 19 seconds left and is egregious down. by the Raiders. If we're going to trash Greg Williams for a zero blitz... And, you know, there was some execution problems on the zero blitz. Mm. The execution problems on this 19 seconds left cover two was atrocious. Damon Arnett's the cornerback. But I don't think this is a play call problem. This is a what the hell is Damon Arnett doing problem. But why are you even playing with two? I mean, you, but when you, you play but cover when two, playing, then I know you've got two deep. You really want to have more people deep. But your cornerbacks are supposed to sit. Yes. Like they should be playing That's at 20 yards minimum. And who cares if anything's completed up right. front? But that's not like that's not a Rod Marinelli. What is this play call problem? That's a Damon Arnett. Why are you not twenty yards further back? This is cover two prevent, not he cover has, two right. like aggressive play the sticks defense. He had his eyes in the backfields. The safety play was bad. I mean, everything about that play was horrendous from a Raiders perspective, and everything about it from a Miami perspective was Fitz magic. Yes. So they get the 34 yards plus the 15-yard face mask, and all of a sudden Miami is in field goal range. They kick the game winner, and they keep their season alive yeah. with the improbable 26-25 to 25 That victory. face mask thing, by the way, it's like the third time that's popped up in the last three weeks, and I didn't even know. I'd forgotten that that was a thing. That pe- Face mask is the only penalty in the NFL that can be added on to, like, to the other play. 
right? Well, yeah, like a 15, can be, anything can that's be a personal, compounded. Personal fouls can. Anything that's a personal foul. But, but face mask, when it's com- it can be combined with other penalties, right? So like pass interference. If you pass in, a, if, if you oh, right, right, are right. A, the defender and you pa- interfere with a guy, the if but if you do it with a face mask, you can, it's compact, it's doubled. Oh yeah, somebody had pass interference right. plus a face mask. That happened twice saying. in the last two weeks. Yeah. And it's, then you get the Fitzpatrick thing added on as well. Um, this, yeah, the, for a relatively mundane game, for most of it, the last three minutes of this game was absolute madness. So we don't have time to discuss the Miami quarterback situation here on the PFF NFL podcast. We are just on tight and concise day. here, two hours only. Mm. Um, so PFF Daily, if you guys have not subscribed yet, search it wherever you listen to this podcast, PFF NFL Daily. Today we discuss what Miami should do at quarterback because the offense looked pretty bad. No big plays with uh, Tua in there. And then all big plays with Ryan Fitzpatrick in there. But as of now, Tua has been named the starter for Week 17 in a must-win game for the Dolphins against the Bills. So go check out the PFF Daily. We get into who the quarterback should be today, this morning. The episode's already up. All right, let's get into Sunday's action. We'll go randomly here across the board in some of the big games. How about Pittsburgh, 28, Indianapolis Colts, 24. I mean, based off, we didn't get to talk about Pittsburgh's Monday night game. Well, we did talk about it uh, in the preview episode, but the Monday night game against the Bengals, they were horrendous last week. It was one of the worst games Big Ben's ever played. Mm -hmm. Everything about that was terrible. The Steelers had lost three straight. I did say on the preview show, don't sleep on them. And I looked like an idiot through the first half. Yeah. Like I was ready to sleep. 21-7, were they down? Yes. Like this looked like a game that was, this was burying them. 24-7. 24-7. The Colts, I believe, right? Yeah, uh, probably right. The Colts were... I mean, they looked like they were making a statement. They were ready to run away with this. It was 24-7. to And then with 3.23 left in the third quarter, the comeback began. Um, the thing that I've said all season about the Steelers is no matter what I've seen from Big Ben this year, I still feel like what he did in the end of the third quarter and in the fourth quarter still existed, which yeah. was those beautiful downfield throws that he made. The touchdown to Deontay Johnson, the touchdown to Juju Smith-Schuster. They were awesome. He didn't ever look like, you know arm shot drew Brees. this was the thing right it's not like he did a little bit no the pick six that he threw to buffalo a couple weeks ago on sunday night it never looked like you know this guy just doesn't have it physically anymore this is why like this offense has been designed around protecting a guy that can no longer make the throws that that he's made a career out of like okay he's not he's not vintage big ben in terms of he can't go bouncing around in the pocket and just you know defenders skittling off him left and right and you know those Eli Manning in the Super Bowl helmet catch plays like that guy isn't there anymore but he's not like this whole thing hasn't been a creation of well Ben Roethlisberger basically can't play quarterback anymore so let's just design this offense around around him being this human jugs machine where all he has to do is catch a shotgun snap assuming Pouncey can actually get it to him and then hit a receiver five yards away like that isn't what we've been witnessing over the last month so theoretically, there's no reason it shouldn't like bounce back and you get to see him actually play quarterback again. Yeah, I had to make a coffee switch, by the way. It's a, yeah. a multi-coffee day. I mean, I was talking to give you the opportunity to do that without, without anybody seeing it, and then you go and blow it and, no, no, and no. let everybody we, see. Our level of professional here is, is announcing when we do stuff like Just that. Just scratching the surface of professionalism. So the Steelers salvage their season. Well, they're, you know, the, the, ability, the, the AFC North, right? salvage it ends the three-game losing streak 
just a, a fascinating game all around because I think the AFC is just so loaded. This was like a week of crazy swings in terms of playoff implications, seeding, all these kinds of things. Like the Colts are winning this game. They're wrapping everything up. The Steelers are back to be buried. The Browns suddenly have a chance of winning the division. In the space of a couple of hours, that goes from Cleveland could win the AFC North to now they're actually fighting to make the postseason. Like they were more at a lock a minute ago, and it's like the Steelers have got to watch out. Cleveland's coming. Now Cleveland loses to the Jets. We'll get to that in a bit. And Pittsburgh turns this around late in the game, and they're suddenly everything's okay again. It was an, We could speak for five hours about this week. Awesome week of action. I want to go to the other side and Phillip Rivers, though. Um, oh, by the way, the Colts' defense, they were doing a really good job early on. Kyrie Willis, the safety, they were doing a nice job disguising coverages, and he was kind of like the key. He was the guy that was playing too deep or coming into the box and playing some of their shallow zones. He got hurt, goes out with a concussion, and all things fall apart. So I'm blaming the Kyrie Willis injury hmm. for the uh, the Colts' downfall defensively. Okay. Um, Phillip Rivers, another game with a passing grade below 60, and his, you know, just roller coaster continues five turnover worthy plays only a couple actual picks he also had one of the best throws of the week where he maneuvers the pocket and throws a 40 plus yard post for a touchdown it was just but but man it's these are the they were talking about it on the broadcast they were like ah, the Colts went back they watched every Philip Rivers throw from the last two years and said he still had it and that was my take right mm -hmm. this offseason I said he's don't over-exaggerate the couple turnover-worthy plays that he had on prime time, right? Just because you saw it on TV the last couple of years. But these games have popped up over the last couple of years where Rivers has multiple turnover-worthy plays and just isn't the same guy, and it happened again in this huge game. Yeah, and I don't, I don't necessarily want to connect bad Phillip Rivers games to superior opposition in particular on defense, right? I don't think they're necessarily that closely linked um, in that, you know, Bad River shows up when he faces a good team. I don't think that's a true narrative. However, I do think that f that the, this dynamic probably puts a cap on the cold season, right? I don't know that this team can win a Super Bowl because at some point they're going to have to go through a team like Pittsburgh who can bring a defense that will cause him these kinds of problems. And while his bad games aren't always connected to the best defenses. I do think against the best defenses, this guy is probably going to show up more often than not. And, you know, Eric Eager from the, the PFF forecast was making this point on our live preview show on Sunday that, you know, the Colts might not be able to beat the best teams and, and win a Super Bowl this year, but they actually, you know, might be able to sneak a win against a Pittsburgh team that's floundering. Now, Pittsburgh ultimately righted the ship and figured things out on offense, and that's why they didn't win this game. But I think that's the dynamic we're looking at here, that Phillip Rivers is good enough for this team to get back to the postseason, right? He prevents, he presents this level of play that Jacoby Brissett just wasn't capable of, but his flaws are now such that eh, it's probably not enough. You know what I mean? They, he doesn't quite have have everything that he used to to be able to overcome those teams. But if you do go back and look at his grades this year. Yeah, to, no, he's been good. But it's been against a lot. His best grades have been against a lot of bad teams. Of course. Say what you want about the Packers defense. That was his highest, grade, ha, highest graded game. But his highest graded games also come against Bengals, Jets, yes. Texans times two, the Vikings, the Lions, Raiders, and then his bad games at the Browns, at the Steelers. Right against the Ravens and against the Bears and against 
the Titans. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that they're not there isn't a correlation factor there. What I'm saying is that I'm it's not as simple as saying that you know bad Philip Rivers is never going to show up against bad defenses. No, right, I got you. It it also has to be noted who the Colts were trotting out there from an offensive line's perspective. Chaz Green did as as best he could with with T.J. Watt. Honestly, there were a couple plays too. Rivers fumbles in the pocket where he was not maneuvering the pocket the way he usually does as well. But Chaz Green, Jamarcus Webb saw some time out there, uh, a 40 pass blocking grade by the Colts. And we've talked about that before too. If they just get completely destroyed yeah. up front, the expectations for Rivers have to, have to drop. And that's you know that was a big part of this game as well. You know it's a bad day when Jamarcus Webb's getting some snaps on for you on the offensive line. Will Holden, I mean, it's just, it was not... It was not good. So credit the Steelers, and you know they made they they started to crack down defensively and made some plays and and they took advantage. Ali Har- Ali uh, Alex Highsmith, dude, he had a couple incredible rushes, including um, hitting Rivers on one of the interceptions, I believe it was. Um, so he was helping. He's replacing Bud Dupree and making some plays for them. So. Sets up an awesome Week 17 for Pittsburgh against Cleveland. Yes. And- Let's let's discuss Cleveland up against the the Jets. They lose twenty three oh to sixteen. Um, Austin, are people really up in arms about Sam Donald right now? Are people really buying into maybe the Jets don't draft a quarterback at two? Is that really coming up? Or of course it is. That was going to come up the second they lost the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And by lost, I mean you know <laughs> don't have the number one overall pick anymore. I'm all for a, a nice reclamation project, but yeah, I want Darnold as a, a backup reclamation project. The Browns, of course, the biggest thing here is the Browns were without their top four receivers. Yes, um, all on the COVID <clears throat> list because of close contacts and or COVID. Do one of them actually have it? Four of them in a hot tub together. Here's here's the thing. Teams need to. That was the thing. It was they were in a hot tub. <laughs> so it, it's like designated. <laughs> It's got to be like designated survivor, right? Like you, one of you have, can't be in the hot tub. Right. One of you, one of you has got to be over there in the hazmat suit just in case. Yeah. one of us in here has COVID. Like each position group needs its own rules. So like you can't have more than two offensive linemen in a hot tub together or in close contact. You can't have more than one quarterback, right? The Broncos wouldn't have had that issue if they abided by these rules. Losing an entire position group is unacceptable. And if you implement some designated survivor (laughs) rules, teams can, you know, combat that. Would they have been okay if they were in the hot tub with masks on? Would that have been been acceptable? The mask would have taken care of everything. Okay. Absolutely. The the rest of it, no. I didn't know that part. That's amazing. So they were in a hot tub together. So you've got Jamarcus Bradley getting targeted 10 times. Marvin Hall, who I love, and I don't know why the, the Detroit Lions got rid of him because he was my he's my designated deep threat guy designated everything um and he he was targeted five times new to the team austin hooper so they had to go to the tight ends harrison bryant playing more in the slot austin hooper those two tight ends combined for 21 targets between them plus four for david and joku but why did the browns throw the ball so much when they had well a whole new receiving that's what i was going to ask you because your coach of the year candidate according to the pff daily is kevin stefanski um kevin stefanski put the ball in the air 58 times if you count nullified plays um with no receivers his entire wide receiver room apparently in a hot tub together and therefore on the COVID list therefore the answer against the jets is to put the ball in the air 58 times with baker mayfield throwing to nobody's justify yourself palazzolo when you go up against a jets defense here's the reasoning you go up against a jets defense whose biggest weaknesses are rushing the passer Mm. and their back seven from a coverage standpoint it is the type of game you go in and you say we're passing to set up the run we're passing first we're just going to spread it around now how did that work out what it felt like 
was the game plan was implemented on Monday, you know, developed on Monday. Yeah. You get the hot tub issue later in the week, <laughs> and there was no new game plan drawn up. So that hot might be issue. an issue by my coach of the year candidate, right. Kevin Stefanski. It does feel like one. I have talked to teams before who go into a game. What? Hmm? Yeah, I've, I talked I talked to a team. Hmm. They go into a game with two legitimate game plans. And, and the, the thing that's going to alter it is like the weather or whatever it might be, right? They ha- they're prepared – and they've got like a wind cutoff. If it's over 20 mile an hour wind or whatever it is, we'll go to this more conservative game plan, whatever it might be. I feel like that was lacking with the Browns for a team that had no wide receivers and generally isn't a pass first team. They're a run first team, run and play action and all that stuff. That was a, a curious decision, I think, from from their standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I think you can, I don't want to say justify it, but I think you can come close to explaining it by saying one of two things. One, they got down pretty early, right? So game flow pushed them towards a passing style of game. And the other thing is, look at the numbers on the ground. Kareem Hunt had one carry for minus two yards. Nick Chubb had eight carries for six yards. Like the run game when you don't have any passing game is suddenly much of a much less of a threat than it used to be, right? Like the Jets are no longer concerned about backing people off the line of scrimmage to deal with your passing threat. They are going, oh... So you have no receivers, you say, but you have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Well, we're going to stack everybody at the line of scrimmage and say, (laughs) have fun with that. Like, let's try and see how this ground game functions. The other thing is Cleveland also didn't have, like, they're missing offensive linemen, right? Wyatt Teller down, Chris Hubbard down, like uh, Jedrick Wills was out, right? Their offensive line, which has been the best in the NFL for the entire season, was pretty much hammered. So the Browns are missing a lot of people, which to some degree explains losing to the Jets. I'm saying when you look at, just look at the PFF team grades going into the game, the Jets number five from a run defense standpoint at 75, and then a 30 coverage grade that's second worst in the NFL. Yeah. Or worst in the NFL going into the week. So just on paper, even if you don't have people to throw to, it's like, all right, we're not, this is the game I always talk about. If you have a team like the Jets or the Giants, the Giants are built similarly right, where you actually have a pretty good run-stopping front seven like the Jets do, you don't even try. But it's but the thing about a the Shanahan, as much as I love the Shanahan scheme and the tree, I don't think there's a whole lot of games in their history where they play like this, where they actually go with a let's, let's chuck it around 45 times type of approach. Sure. I don't think there ever was. There was a time, I remember the Texans and Matt Schaub, it felt like they should have done it in certain games against really good run defenses, and they just don't do it. It's just not in their nature. So it was really odd. I, if, if they had their top four receivers, I like the game plan. If they don't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. They probably needed to run a little bit more. The Ugh, in, almost all dirty. of Baker Mayfield's season is now becoming like an asterisk. Right? Like how do you evaluate what Baker Mayfield is you right just now? Just evaluate it, man. Why do you you want to put an asterisk on everything? I'm, so, all right, week one, Baltimore, right? New offense, haven't you know the whole thing has been done over Zoom. We've got no idea what's going on. They get slaughtered, right? Okay, let's kind of toss that out. Um, then you get these bounce backs, you know, bounce back in Cincinnati, whose defense was a train wreck at that point. Throw those out. Um, Dallas turns out also a train wreck throw that out Pittsburgh wrecked decimated okay that was a bad matchup the Steelers have generated more pressure than anybody ever throw that out then you get the weather right half the season in the middle is gone because Baker's the only guy playing in the snow in the cold weather in the wind throw those out 
Now you get to this run where Baker's on fire, but oh, look, it's against Houston, Philadelphia, Jacksonville, Tennessee, the teams that can't cover. Throw those out. And then against the Ravens the game. Okay, oh, Ra- Ravens. Ravens game. That's our one game. Everything looks better, but bad pick six. So, all right. And now we get the, uh, the the Giants, also, you know, pretty impressive, but they never forced him. They were great. Yeah. He was great. He was great, but again, they didn't do a particularly good job of challenging him. And now this game, where it's like he had no wide receivers. I like to say that they turned the difficulty level up to Eagles in this game. <laughs> this is the Eagles the last two years. Zero wide receivers. Everybody's yeah. out. Go get them. I'm just saying, he's now played like, what, 15 out of 16 games, and we've got to throw out like 13 of them in terms of I don't know what you can take from those games. I mean, overall, it's pretty good. I think the disappointing thing is, yeah, you don't have dudes to throw to out there, but... Multiple turnover-worthy plays, taking sacks that he shouldn't have taken. He was he was trying to play five drops though, like and they came and it goes like, back and forth. Right, right? they came on back-breaking situations as well. It's like God, look, we're like our backs are up against this, right? We're struggling. We're down against the Jets. It's 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 heading towards embarrassment right now. So if you could just catch this crossing route on third and five to keep this drive alive, that would be wonderful. Like, I'm not asking much from you. I understand you just came off the practice squad and you're probably not going to get open very much. But just catch this one. Come on. Help a, help a guy out. We're all struggling here. Let's just catch the ball that hits you in the hands. From a Jets perspective, they win their second straight. They're now locked into the number two overall pick. So yep. they've lost the opportunity at number one. We didn't have a great grade on Sam Darnold. You know, the stats were fine, whatever. But Jamison Crowder, the star of the game, 92 yards as a receiver, plus the 43-yard touchdown pass. Nice job, Jamison Crowder. Frank Gore, just a classic 3.4 yards per carry. Over 16,000 uh, career rushing yards now. Oh. Closing in on Walter Payton. Good job, Frank. Um, we should probably do a daily on what the Jets need to do at number two as well and discuss, is Darnold still in the mix? Do they definitely go quarterback? Who is the quarterback? How do they rebuild those Jets? We'll get to that at some point this offseason. All right, where else are we going to go here for this week? The Kansas City Chiefs, 17-14 to 14 over the Atlanta Falcons. They tried to lose this game, the Chiefs. Yeah, tried to should lose have it. lost it. Patrick what? Mahomes throws what should have been a game-ending interception by A.J. Terrell, unable to hold on in the end zone. Yeah. And then Mahomes comes back with a game-winning 25-yard touchdown to DeMarcus Robinson I don't know what is more crazy that it took Kansas City until the fourth quarter to lead in this game against the Atlanta Falcons let's remember right or that the score needed to take the lead was only to get higher than seven at that point right yeah the fourth quarter in this game that we thought would be a shootout you know Atlanta for all their woes can put up some points and this will be can not necessarily match Kansas City but can you know run them close this had shootout written all over it. And then fourth quarter, the Chiefs finally struggle across the line to take the lead. Uh, and, it, you know, it's, they only need to get above seven points for that to happen. But, yeah, you're right. The the luck that every team gets lucky at some point in a 16-game season, right? This is the nature of football. This is why it's not the way baseball is with saber metrics and the numbers are going to be able to tell you everything just from these clean, simple data points. There's noise, there's chaos, there's luck involved. And sometimes the luck's going to bounce your way, and sometimes it's going to bounce the other way. And because there's only, you know, 60 games or 60 plays on offense on your side of the ball, it's noisy and it, it changes things. So every team gets lucky at some point. The Chiefs got really lucky in this game. Like Mahomes generally doesn't make mistakes. But 
right at the death with them needing to, you know, mount this comeback. He takes a shot into the end zone. It's it's slightly underthrown. It's well covered. A.J. Terrell goes up um, ahead of his receiver, catches the ball, and then as he hits the ground, pops out, can't secure it, bullet dodged. Would have right? been a game ender. Would have Yeah, would have literally been a game-ending interception from Patrick Mahomes. That is as turnover-worthy as it gets, and it would have it would have been game over. It would have been a loss attributed directly to a Patrick Mahomes throw. But they dodge the bullet, and inevitably, like a couple of plays later, bam, dagger, take the lead, game over. Yeah, and the, the game winner was a great throw to Demarcus Robinson. Even after that, the Falcons missed a field goal to tie it and, you know, and to go to overtime. This was one of those games, too, like your game plan of, you know, keep it away from the Chiefs. It, it, it's just the way it worked for the Falcons. They averaged 3.9 per carry. But they, the, the running backs, about four and a half. Like they did, they did just, it was one of those four yards here, five yards there. They did just enough to kind of like shorten the game. And, um, but it's still crazy because they did play really good defense. And you had Mahomes with a red zone interception early, another one that should have been picked that was dropped. And then the one you're talking about that should have ended the game. I also think the Chiefs, did you see the play where they were running? They were running like the, uh, it looked like Newt Rockney's offense from the 20s mm. on fourth and one. Are they getting a little too fancy for a team that is as talented as they are? They're using, they're doing this Mahomes motion stuff. They're doing this, you know, 1920s, um, not, not uh, what, what's the offense I'm thinking of here? Single wing? Single wing, you know, let's motion out and do this. They ran this elaborate fourth and one to just chuck it down the field to Mahomes, which didn't work. Are they getting too fancy for a team that, isn't that just, technically is more talented than everyone? Isn't that just like complete results-oriented analysis like a week ago? No, I'm at, that's why I'm posing the question. Right. I, I mean, because of that, I don't think so, right? Like you go back a couple of weeks and it's like, oh, look at this magic that Andy Reid is dialing up to make Patrick Mahomes' life easier. This is a cheat code. And now it's like, well, they struggle against the Falcons, so they're getting too creative and too cute and just, just line up and throw it deep to Tyreek Hill. Whereas really late in the game, they lined up through a deep Tyree kill, and that was almost what cost them the game, right? Like that's also interesting too that Mahomes normally Tyree kills running away from people, right? Yeah. But he threw a pick to Xavier Howard a couple weeks ago covering Tyree kill in tight coverage, and then the same thing with Terrell. Well, These bigger corners, and Mahomes is still taking those those chances. Here. Part of the problem is you you can only run so far. Like the field stops at the end zone. True. So if you you can run five yards past him, but if the field then ends, you basically are locked into this little box at the back corner of the end zone. That's where, you know, the was the um, the Xavier Howard one was just shy of the goal line, right? And then this one was just over yeah. the goal line. So they were both like taking the same shot effectively, 25, right? 30 yard type. Right. Process, Let's yeah. try and put the ball to Tyree Kill into the end zone against a long corner. It's the Richard Sherman play, right? It's the the guy with that much length is giving you a really tiny window to fit a football when you're dealing with the end zone, right? When you're dealing, if you're taking that shot from like your own 20, you've got five yards of space to put the ball over his head and it's not a factor anymore. If you're, when you're actually uh, halted by the end of the, the restrictions of the field limit, now you've got some issues and that's where he's been burned for twice, well, once and then almost twice. Yeah, and those are the curious, to me, those are just curious decisions by Mahomes. Well, my point is that's why making that's why they're not getting too cute, right? Because that wasn't too cute. They just took a shot and it almost yeah. was what cost them the game. Like the too cute thing didn't necessarily work this time, but it has been most of the season. And that's one of the reasons why that offense is phenomenal.
Calvin Ridley had a huge game for the Falcons. A nice job just essentially running through their secondary a couple times. And does every time Julio's not there. It's amazing, actually. Yeah. He just jumps up one spot in the depth chart and, can, like, picks up where Julio leaves off. And it's and it's really why the Falcons, who, again, find special ways of losing. You know, they, <laughs> want, they, they make the comeback. Them they the have Chargers. the dropped interception. They still get into field goal range and miss the field goal. But on paper, it's such it should be such an attractive job. Just the baseline of talent that you have with Matt Ryan throwing the ball to really good receivers is is just a, an outstanding starting point. Just like Deshaun Watson is a great starting point with the Houston Texans. So um, the Falcons continue to find ways to lose. Does this do you does this lose any luster? We've we get criticized for being Chiefs apologists. We get criticized for being too hard on Mahomes and all this stuff. But I mean, realistically, Mahomes didn't play well. Mm-hmm. This is one of the first games that Mahomes has started where you could say, "Wow, the offense really didn't do anything. They didn't even save him." Yeah, and, and score thirty. Right? There have been games where Mahomes hasn't played great and they've scored thirty. He played poorly. They only scored seventeen, and they really should have scored ten. If Terrell makes that interception, it's a 14-10 to 10 win for the Falcons. What do you do with that game when you're evaluating the Chiefs? I This is what I mean about this week, right, is that I don't know that you can take anything from that. Like, yes, all of those things you said were true. On the other hand, what it, does that mean anything? It was the, it was, this was a game the Chiefs should have won comfortably, and we should have racked up a ton of points against the Falcons' defense that's better but still not good. And they didn't. They should have scored 10, should have lost the game. Mahomes had a bad game. PFF grade right now is sitting about 50. One of the worst grades from any quarterback of the week. This was bad. But does that change what you expect from them in week 17 or in the playoffs? No, not well, the, really. The most important thing here is the Chiefs clinched their number one seed. Yes. So they, they survived. They get away with it. They might be able to rest We'll see if they want to rest people next week, too, because they'll, they already do have yeah, the I, bye. I will say that, look, the Chiefs have not been dominating teams the way we have expected them to for a while now, right? They haven't been covering these giant point spreads that Vegas has been setting for them. The confidence that everybody has in Kansas City, it's being met in terms of wins, but it's not being met in terms of quality of performance or overall uh, comfort of victory. And a game like th- like this was a real bullet dodge for them. Now, does that mean that this team is riding their luck like they did in this game overall, and that you know they are vulnerable in the way that the Pittsburgh Steelers were before their mini collapse? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I, the analysis we've had comparing those two teams up until this point has been. You know, Kansas City's margin for error is so big to win these games because of Mahomes, because of everything in the offense, all the trickery or the trickeration that you're now <laughs> criticizing for being too cute. Um, I, I pose the question. I'm just labeling it as your decision now, as your opinion. So, a, a single wing with Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. Anyway, uh, all those things I think are still true. Um, I think ultimately it doesn't mean like. <laughs> Because those are true, it doesn't mean that they're never vulnerable to losing a game, right? Like, ultimately, if you're going to – your margin for error still exists, right? Like, it, just because it's a really small one doesn't mean you still can't hit that minority and you lose a game here. This was a game Kansas City should have lost. And if they'd lost this game, I don't think it would really change much. You wouldn't be coming out of this game saying, well, the Chiefs suck. Like, everything we thought about them is bullshit. They, they're now vulnerable. We're going to expect uh, Baltimore to win the Super Bowl. They're going to run the AFC – beat Kansas City like the Chiefs are still the best team in the NFL they're still the, the presumptive favorites they're still the Super Bowl uh defending champions 
They had a bad day. They should have lost. They didn't. They dodge a bullet. We move on. Yeah, I mean, everybody's going to compare the Chiefs to the Patriots dynasty of the last 20 years. The Patriots dynasty did have random right, bad, bad games. games in December and all that stuff, and it mattered nothing when it came to playoff time. Um, the one thing I will say here, though, I think the margin of error for the Chiefs is getting tighter. If they have that game against the Steelers or against the Titans or the Bills or another pretty good AFC, it's a good AFC this year. Mm-hmm. If they do lay an egg for a, a half or three quarters like they have in recent weeks at times, then I, they might not be able to come out of that. That's all I'll say. I mean, they're still the best team. I agree. Um but maybe a little bit more concerning against the bad Falcons team there. Uh, where, let's go to let's go to L.A. in Seattle. Rams and Seahawks. Seahawks win twenty to nine. One of the four o'clock games here. It was a defensive struggle the entire time. Rams offense was atrocious mm. in this one. Jared Goff was not playing well. It was was McVay like visibly upset the entire time. I thought the I thought the most interesting thing was the halftime report where it was six to six. And I forget who the reporter was, but she was basically, I think it was she, basically come out of it said, um, don't start. <laughs> said, whoever the halftime reporter was, said, Pete Carroll, thrilled, loves where the Seahawks are at right now. Sean McVay, frustrated, can't stand where they're at right now. Yeah. I thought that was... In a tie game. Yeah, and even Aikman acknowledged it was like, hey, that's, that's just who they are as coaches, right? right? Pete Carroll feels good about a 6-6 six to six game yeah. in the half, loves that. And Sean McVay feels like they left 20 points on the table. I mean, it makes sense, right? One's a defensive coach, the other one's an offensive coach. If you said it's 6-6 six, six at the half and I gave no more information than that, you could kind of predict that outcome. This, I think, was really concerning for the Rams. Um, last week, again, it's like last week you could kind of throw it out. You know, okay, they lost to the Jets. That was ridiculous. On the other hand, the Jets' defensive front absolutely wrecked their offensive line. The interior got destroyed and we just know from experience that if you take away that foundation stone from this Los Angeles Rams offense it doesn't fire it doesn't function right everything is built off that if you can't run those wide zone plays because your offensive line on the inside is getting buried into the backfield every play you can't run your play action you can't run your boots you can't do anything you want to run right so everything collapses if that foundation stone turns to rubble and that's what the Jets defensive front was able to do and even if they have crappy uh dbs on the back end doesn't matter this week that didn't really happen and they still couldn't get anything done that i think is a lot more concerning now you have to start talking about systemic problems within this offensive scheme in a way that hasn't really uh surfaced since the last time we were talking about systemic problems in the sean McVay offense and how it hasn't evolved and teams have started to figure out where the, where the weak points are now and it's happening like on the eve of the playoffs as you're about to face the best teams in the NFL. That's a lot of homework to have to do over the next couple of weeks. But that's why I love this matchup too because the Seahawks made some adjustments up front from a, from a front standpoint. We mentioned in the, on the preview pod, they, were, they kept sending five-man pressures in the first matchup and the Rams were crushing that. Mm-hmm. Um, Seattle did not do that in this game. They, they played it more straight up. And you know this was probably one of the better games Jamal Adams played from a coverage standpoint, just just you know carrying routes down the field and you know just carrying out basic Seattle strong safety cover three assignments. Yeah, uh, Jamal Adams did that, which more he's often. good at. It, yeah, yeah, he like, can, he can do all that been, stuff. But people they, have been ripping this guy all season long because he's like he's basically been a pass rusher, and nothing been. else. We not, have been. not us. He's been well a little bit. Um, 
And he's been bad in coverage, right? His coverage grade this season is crappy. But it's not like he didn't become bad in coverage overnight. Like, he isn't a bad coverage defender. He might not be a Earl Thomas single high free safety whose special skill is defending the deep third and making, you know, impact plays at the sideline. He's a good cover safety who's been hung out to dry by a scheme that was asking things of him that are um, not unreasonable, but are just bad defensive plays. I, I think the proxy for that is trying to make him into Troy Polamalu, who, remember, Troy used to be at the line of scrimmage and then he'd go play deep half. Like, yeah. He used to do crazy stuff, and the Steelers would tap into that ability. It, fe- it, fe- it feels like the Seahawks have tried to make Jamal Adams into that. You don't know where Jamal Adams is going to be. He's going to rush the passer. He's going to do this. He's going he's to be everywhere. And it is a lot on his plate, but I thought he just played a clean game from that perspective. Jared Goff was not good. Again. Um, decision-making, accuracy was just poor. And and then he, and then he uh, dislocates his thumb, hits his thumb on a helmet, pops it back into place, finishes the game, reports that he might need surgery. Um, but the bottom line is he, he is just so inconsistent. Jared Goff, so inconsistent week to week. It's really tough for the Rams when their run game isn't going or whatever he's still got to make those throws, right? And you just don't know what you're going to get week to week with Goff. I think the other side is just an awesome schematic matchup as well because we've talked about the Rams and how good they are at discouraging deep passes. And it felt like Seattle had to play a, more of like a horizontal stretch type of game and, you know, run quick game and just, you know, exploit the underneath zones that the Rams um, generally, they the Rams generally give that underneath stuff, but that is just not Seattle's game. So they looked really uncomfortable for the majority of their game too. But Russ did hit one or two shots over the top, and that ended up being the difference. Yeah, um, this I mean that side of the ball I think went as we expected it to. The Rams defense, it's a really good, and b um, specifically set up well to cause Russell Wilson problems, and it didn't cause him as many problems as the first game where he had the lowest grade of his season, like a PFF grade of 41 or something ridiculous. Um, but it did cause him issues, and he had another grade in the 60s. Like He looked he looked very uncomfortable for a lot. I mean, he, and was, I think run, he, he is. was running I, into pressure a little it's bit. It's a very – I think they confuse him enough on the back end that it causes all the other things, right? It causes him to feel uncomfortable. He doesn't – he knows he has to work out what he's looking at, and that takes him a little bit of time – um, to diagnose, and he knows also that you know Aaron Donald is coming, right? It's, he doesn't have all day, right? So he starts to get skittish in the pocket and everything. So the Rams' defense did exactly what we thought it would do heading into this game. The problem is the other side of the ball didn't fire, and that is a real problem now for a Rams' offense that is starting to kind of collapse and fray. Um, and I'm not sure what the answer to that is. And, and really interestingly. Like, this might be the matchup again in a couple of weeks in the playoffs. <laughs> it might, yeah. It could be three versus six. Seattle, uh, NFC West champs. Which is the three. way I have it working out on my little playoff predicting machine. You right have it here. in your predictor. Yeah. Yeah. Just you, sketching out week 17. Did That's, you whip that out? Yeah. Did you whip that up? The, uh... I mean, I didn't create the playoff predictor, but I filled in what I think will happen in week 17, and that's spitting out Seahawks versus Rams in the playoffs. I just made a, a misstatement. That, should, that needs to get cut as well. Oh, yeah? What'd you do? I meant to say whip that up. Uh-huh. No, I said whip it out. Huh. How about that? <laughs> we'll turn that into a one-off. It'll some people good... some people edit podcasts. We merely call out our mistakes. Yeah, highlight and Make them. sure that our, that our listeners hear. Yeah, make sure they got it the yeah. first time. Yeah. Hey, look, I misspoke. Make uh-huh. fun of me. 
It's great. Well, look, we all make mistakes. We've all said things that we wish we, we hadn't. And yeah. that, that's your one. More so you than me. But, well, you know. I'm just glad you got one on the board. Look, I've been streaking away with this. Uh, yeah. The leaderboard. You're, you're now up there. Luckily, HR doesn't listen to our podcast, God, I don't no. think. So. Um, anyway, yeah, they might, it might be a rematch. And I, I, I mentioned that it might be Ram Seahawks 3 on Twitter. So many people are upset. No, it's terrible. It's, I, I love it. I, I think the third matchup between a division team. I don't always love the third matchup. But In this, this case, one, yeah. I love it because Rams won at home. Seattle won at home. I think they're very evenly, just strength versus strength in certain aspects and everything. Yeah. I just love it. And the cat and mouse game, too, that I well, mentioned on both sides of the ball. I think the Rams' defense clearly matches up well with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks' offense. It's caused him as many problems as anybody. He did better this time than he did the time before. Does that mean that time three he's going to be better still and you'll get like good Russell Wilson? Will they have, you know, have some more things to dial up to keep him suppressed? And then the other side of the ball, it's like, well, okay, now the Seahawks defense just caused you some major issues. Have you been able to figure that out in two weeks? I am all for round three of this matchup. Uh, I am as well. So hopefully, hopefully we will see that. Um, so the Rams, they win and they're in next week. Uh, John Wolford is the backup. He is a guy that our friend Zach Robinson really liked. Rams coach Zach mm-hmm. Robinson really liked John Wolford coming out of uh, Wake Forest, okay. undrafted free agent. Just keep an eye on him. He had one preseason game a couple of years ago where he looked pretty good. Are you saying he could start at some point? He could. Jared Goff might need to have surgery. It might not be available in Week 17. So it could be John Wolford at quarterback for the Rams Getting against coached the Cardinals. up by Zach? Well, Zach's the wide receiver. He's assistant <laughs> wide receivers coach. Yeah, now. but you know, he'll be in his ear. But Zach, uh, it was one of Zach's uh, guys that he worked with in the offseason. And not all of Zach guys pan out great. You you can only work with what you have if it's Deshaun Kaiser. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance? Just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies and helping customers choose the right solutions together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind western and southern financial group life insurance retirement and investments compensated endorser products issued by member companies of western and southern financial group cincinnati ohio yeah but um but wolford's pretty good and he's looking in limited time so just keep an eye on that Uh, let's touch on sunday night football and then we'll get into the NFC East mess. The Green Bay Packers 40, Tennessee Titans 14. Snow game, always fun. And God, love them. it didn't change anything for the passing attack. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers just looked comfortable, zipping the ball all over the place and spreading it around. Devontae Adams, uncoverable once again. Just incredible. Yeah. Um, did the Packers genuinely draft A.J. Dillon for like this game? For snow weather in December and January? Like, look, we've taken a look at this roster. We're in pretty good shape. We like what we have. We On the other hand, December running back. There's a real hole for a bruising December snow game power back. And we know we're going to have a couple of those games. We're in Lambeau, you know, December, January, when, the, when we're in the playoffs. If we roll into that NFC championship game again, we can't pound the ball the way we want to in the snow. We need a 250 pound back. Yes. They, they did. did. They actually did that. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Look, so here's the thing, going back to the draft analysis, where we were right, drafting Jordan Love is going to lead to an MVP season for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I think he locked up the MVP. 
uh chris was talking about i like the way chris was talking about it on the on the broadcast he was like aaron started reading you know when he got upset basically yeah. it sounded like he had a drink on draft night yeah. and then spent the, spent the next two months just introspection yeah just yeah. like i'm gonna read i'm gonna take my mind off this i'm just gonna whatever it was to focus we've noticed a difference and everybody's noticed you but know there's what been it was a difference in rogers this was like this is batman right batman has been beaten up by by who's it bane thrown down in the pit right now he has to rebuild himself so instead of just getting angry and festering over all this he starts you know doing it the right way right learning developing his mind getting getting himself right and now you go and you know wreck the world but this was the point we made at the time i always make the point that i think superstar players like a rogers or a brady a breeze i think deshaun watson has it when you put their back against the wall they're fine the the michael jordan meme i took that personal I think the best players have that. There's also a degree to which, like, you're not going to come out and say that's how you're treating this, right? Oh, yeah, I'm pissed off. I am livid, and I'm coming out here to set the world on fire to prove all you jackasses wrong that you should have given me a wide receiver like I wanted. Like, that's not the company line, you know what I mean? Even Michael Jordan didn't say that stuff at the time. It's only 20 years later. He's like, oh, yeah, that pissed me right off. Like, you don't, you know, you come out and you say, oh, yeah, look, I, I was a little bit, you know, perturbed, and then I then I took to some reading and you know got my head right and just wanted to just wanted to get get right, just wanted to improve as so, a human being. So where we might have been right was that hey Rogers could take this personally and go back to MVP Rogers. That yeah. happened. Where we may have been wrong was the fact that the the Packers didn't have enough weapons for him because Devontae Adams has played at such an incredible level. PFF number one wide receiver uh, catches eleven out of twelve passes for one forty two, and he catches all of them. You know the quick. The quick hitch that's going to go for a touchdown, the deep ball, uh, just perfectly thrown by Rodgers, and, and Adams makes a great catch. He's uncoverable. And then the other guys, it's just a different guy stepping up yeah. every week I mean, for the Packers. Yes. I think they have enough receiving weapons in terms of number two, number three, outside of Devontae Adams for most games. This is just a not a good game to make that point because – Snow game, 37 carries, 234 yards on the ground. Devontae Adams caught 11 of 12 for 142. Like the next guys, you know, Aaron Jones, 2 for 14. Alan Lazar, 2 for 14. No, I know. I want Equinemius to... and Brown, 1 for 21. Like they basically, it was Devontae Adams was the passing game, right? Outside of that, they didn't really need anything else because they were just destroying the Titans on the ground. I do think overall, though, you know, when Alan Lazard is there, he's a difference maker to this team, not because he's a special talent, but because he's a viable number two that Rodgers trusts, and that lets, whether it's St. Brown, whether it's Marquez Valdez-Scantling, that lets one of those guys be the lower volume sort of big play threat, and they've got enough. Um, That's what, what I wanted to circle back to, though, was they, they have enough, and in my, my definition of balance is the ability to do everything, right, run throw short, intermediate, deep, and all that stuff. To your initial point, is A.J. Dillon their December snow game running back? I mean, if, if, you, if you feel good about your passing attack and those guys developing, there's something to at least having that answer. If teams are going to let us run or if teams are going to back off or if, we do need, or if we do need a compliment to Aaron Jones and we have a big bruiser, A.J. Dillon, 93 yards after contact, seven first downs, nine forced missed tackles. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to to top off your offense and have that actual balance if that's the way you're going to play in particular games. 
Sure. I mean, I wonder if, you know, you needed that with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams there anyway. Like, it's not like you were lacking for talent in the backfield. Look at their different styles of backs, but I don't know that you necessarily needed. I don't know. You do get those Derrick Henry vibes out of Dylan, though, right? I'm not saying it's worth a second rounder. I'm not saying it's going to lead them to the Super Bowl. But when you add that to an offense that is more, not finesse, but they're a pass first offense right it's a pass first yeah. offense that's running the ball really effectively this year if you do add a bruiser to that group it's not the worst thing in the world i'm not saying it is I, I, there's something fun about watching a 250 pound power back that's actually functional in a way that you know leonard fournette isn't um it's just kind of fun to watch in this in this era of finesse football where nobody really does that when you watch derrick henry or aj dillon just plow their way into a field of bodies and start dragging people for another five yards it's it throwback to the 1990s it's kind of fun to watch um what is interesting though is that dylan basically out derrick henry derrick henry he in did. this game and green bay's defensive game plan like their defense has taken a lot of crap this season justifiably it hasn't been good for a lot of it their game plan for this game was excellent they understood that derrick that the titans function as derrick henry and aj brown function right this is their um, those two physical imposing monsters that you just can't match up with that's how they're going to roll and in particular when it's snowing it's a game set up for those guys right you have your own one in AJ Dillon they're going to run Derrick Henry until the wheels fall off and that's how they're going to win they did a pretty good job of stuffing that and, sh and shutting it down and forcing them to try and win with Ryan Tannehill through the air and when you do that like, ten, like unless Tannehill can rely on the Derrick Henry and, and A.J. Brown element, he isn't as good. Yeah, Tannehill had a, a rough game throwing the ball, three turnover-worthy plays, two actual interceptions, a couple just poor decisions in general. Um, but he did have a 49-yard run, so that salvaged his QBR, Sam, yep. by the way. Um, which is good. I mean, that and the fact that you can add a 49-yard run is great as a quarterback, but you also saw Chris said, you know, it's the Derrick Henry factor. The whole yeah. Packers defense bid on that. Um, but that is the element that, that Tannehill adds – to this offense but yeah overall the passing attack was extremely poor for the titans darnell savage my boy making some plays for the packers it is funny how you know Tannehill is one of these cliched guys that hey i don't know if you know this but he played wide receiver at one point you know like every every time Tannehill comes up right that's one of the things like antonio gates i don't know if you know this but he was a basketball player back in the day um it is funny how a guy who everybody knows and has it drilled into them was a wide receiver at one point People forget that the guy's fast as hell. Yeah. And if you let him loose in the open field, it's a problem. Like, you can't, you can't just switch off on a zone read look the way you can with certain other quarterbacks. Because if he does pull the ball, you need somebody that can not just, like, cover him, but actually go with him to the corner because I, he'll outrun you. If the zone read, if a keeper can make Ryan Finley dangerous, yes. imagine what it does for Ryan For a Tanner. guy that can legitimately run fast. Um, I will say snow games are not good for Corey Davis's Hall of Fame credentials. <laughs> no catches on two targets. Uh, uh, Corey may maybe not built for the snow. No? Um, More of a fair weather Hall of Famer? He is. Okay. He is. I mean, Jerry Rice, how many snow games did Jerry Rice play? Right, just get him out of San Francisco Yeah, in the, the fine weather. He's a free agent. Los I mean, he's in Angeles, Tennessee. maybe, or Dome. These are rare games, but I don't think maybe Corey Davis shouldn't sign with Green Bay this offseason <laughs> as, a, as a free agent. Um, so 40-14, to 14, the Green Bay Packers, they have the number one seed right now. If they win next week against the Bears, they will be yeah, in. Let's, Bears. let's go to the Bears, actually, and then we'll go to NFC East. Bears Ooh, 41, boy. Jacksonville 17. Uh, Bears win and they, they're in next week? No, they, yeah. they win in Arizona. No, 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 they win, they're in. They control their destiny now. 
Bears win in, the, yep. in their in, but they're, it's against the Packers. Green Bay, yeah. And Green Bay does need to win, so we're not going to see rested starters or anything like that. But Bears offense, efficient once again. Is it is it a big groundswell for Trubisky to be back? It's with more the Bears, than a Or is it? I don't know. A vocal minority. I don't know how large the minority of human beings is that think that Mitchell Trubisky is playing his way into a contract extension with Chicago. But I do know it's too big. I don't care how big it is, whether it's a one percent minority, a ten percent minority, a forty-five percent minority, whatever it is, it's too big. And if it extends into the building, into Hallis Hall, it's a train wreck. Like, look. Sure, the numbers have been great. The Bears are going to go back to the playoffs, maybe. Um, and they've done that based off Trubisky coming back in the lineup and then bouncing back in terms of record. Having said that, look at the slate of defenses he's faced, right? It's basically the three worst defenses in the NFL and the Minnesota Vikings, who aren't the worst, but they're like 25th in every category, right? It's four defenses that you should be beating the living snot out of, and that's exactly what the Bears have done. Critically, his grade hasn't even been good, right? This is 2018 all over again. It's the same movie. We've seen this again. All they did is change the number on the date and republish it. We have seen what happens when the Bears have Mitchell Trubisky. The results are good. The overall offense is great. And Trubisky's great is crap, right? What it means is it's not him driving this. And at some point, they're going to need him to play well. The wheels fall off again. And you've just saddled yourself to this drag that not only is a drag on your overall offense, but if you have to sign into a big extension, it's now a drag on your salary cap as well. Don't fall for the trap. You've seen the movie. You know how it ends. And it doesn't end well for you. The end. Well said. Thank you. The only thing I'll add, why is the grade not good? Well, because he's not good. <laughs> we had a fumble in the pocket that did not end up as a turnover. And a Hail Mary from the 20 yard line. A Hail Mary from the 20, essentially. Luckily, Mike Lennon came back with an interception on the next play. But Trubisky just chucks it up into the end zone. That actually did get intercepted. That showed up in the stat sheet. And then another pass misread the, you know, the safety broke on the ball. Should have had. So he should have had three turnovers in the game, three turnover worthy plays. And, you know, the offense does run, has run efficiently with him under center. Against four of the worst defenses. To your in the point, NFL. though, it has been against those those poor defenses. So, I mean, good job, Bears. Bounce it back, turning the offense around. Uh, same point we've made in recent weeks. They've done a good job of, you know, just creating offense. They've done a much better job play calling and all that stuff, but how much of it is who they're playing against. So, yeah, the grade is not good once again yeah. for Trubisky, but the results and stats are. And it's just not sustainable. Like, just think about it, right? One of those teams is the Detroit Lions, and Tom Brady's 43-year-old ass without playing in the fourth quarter essentially just threw up 47 points on them. Like, did, of course he's put up big points. The defenses are garbage. Like, stop. You cannot look at that and be like, oh, well, Trubisky's turned the corner. Yeah. All it took was a few years of benching, us not to pick up his fifth-year option, and essentially write him off as a future NFL quarterback, and bam, the light went on. Like, stop it. Like, oh, I can't. I can't deal with people who think that that's a thing. I just, can't. Just to touch on that. So I agree. I would not. Look, Trubisky might lead them to the playoffs. They do have to beat the Packers, though. So it's a, a yeah. more reasonable defense, and you have to beat, you have to go head to head with Aaron Rodgers next week. Um, not much to mention on the Jaguars, though. They are locked into the number one overall pick. Trevor. Uh, Mike Renner is going to write an article on how to rebuild the Jaguars. That's going to be on PFF.com today. I think it's a. I, I am looking forward to seeing a Trevor Lawrence throwing to LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark. 
upgrade the offensive line a little bit, attack the defense. They've got cap space, though. They've got two first round, another first-round pick outside of Trevor Lawrence. I think the Jacks, there's rumors of Urban Meyer being interested in the Jacksonville job. I don't know if Urban was just going to go wherever Trevor goes. Um, he seems, you know, smart like that to go to a place where he could, you know, succeed. Uh, the Jaguars are a, a, just a team to they'll, – they'll be in the news a lot over these next – a uh, few weeks and during the offseason so they'll be fun to discuss as we see if the Jaguars can get back to their uh, 2017 AFC championship ways um, so Bears winning they're in next week let's go to this NFC East mess right now the Carolina Panthers 20 the Washington football team 13 Panthers got up early football team tried to tried to battle back defensive struggle across the board the football team continues to be good because their defense is solid. They've done defense. a nice job defensively. Yeah. Uh, but Dwayne Haskins benched was bad. Yeah. He was in a strip club this week. Mm. He was bad at football. He got benched and then he tried to bail without without talking to reporters apparently. But he ended up he ended up talking, which is great. Um, but he's got a thirty five grade in this game. Yeah. Turnover worthy plays left and right. Haskins not impressive. Taylor Heineke comes in after being benched. Uh-huh. And I, I tell you, I just love dudes with middle school arms out there. <laughs> making plays on an NFL football field. He made a few nice throws. Yeah. I, the Haskins thing is, we had this discussion yesterday that, you know, you didn't love what you saw last year. I saw some signs of encouragement. It's not like he was great, but I thought there were some things to build on, particularly later as he got on, right? Like the train wreck at the start was ugly, but this is a guy coming in to a, you know, new off, blah, blah, blah. There's reasons for it, or at least you can talk yourself into that narrative. I thought later on in the year, we saw some nice throws from him when he, was confident in what he was seeing he could deliver the ball his arm looked great and then everything just fell apart this year he was playing crap early in the season when he got benched and he seems to be like the worst possible quarterback from a leadership you know just a sort of hey you're the face of this franchise act like a professional standpoint right between taking selfies in the stand as the game is still going on you need to be on the field the being in the strip club with a no mask on during a covid pandemic the like trying to bounce when you get like everything he's just been the worst possible like leader as a quarterback and has been bad when he's been on the field now those two things are probably connected but it's been a it's been a disaster for them and now you have this team that's actually in reasonable shape with a good coach they don't really have a quarterback you've got Alex Smith out there hobbled and old you've got Taylor Heineke with his middle school arm and you know he's not a long-term starter and then Dwayne Haskins the the Washington football team may win the division and drop themselves a ton in the draft and kind of desperately need a quarterback if they win next week they do win the division they would play they would host Brady and the Bucks in that first round matchup um, if it is Alex Smith under center, I think they've got a shot. Heineke again was good. I don't know what he looks like in a in a full game setting, but it's are they a Cam Newton candidate in the off season? I think a lot of teams connections. Are. Ron Riverboat, Ron and Cam. That's that that's that's a really good connection there. I want, but Rivera was also there when they moved on. No, they he wasn't. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a potential connection. But it's if Cam does that. It's the same situation in New England, I think. Like, you've got – at least they have Terry McLaurin, and they, they do have some emerging playmakers, but they do need to improve across the board offensively. It, it's not like Haskins or Alex Smith or anybody that's been the quarterback there has been in a great situation. Um, I've just been most impressed with what the defense did. Chase Young got another strip sack. You still have a, you had another good game from Kendall Fuller and Ronald Darby. like the way Jimmy Moreland's flying around the field. I mean, they've done a nice job defensively, but whichever quarterback ends up there next year needs more playmakers. 
if they do end up winning the division and they're picking in the teens or 20s, then, yeah, you're, you're going to be out of the top quarterback sweepstakes, so they might have to get creative with a, with a free agent like a Cam Newton. Not a bad thought. Um, and, and I'm also impressed with the Panthers' defense every other week is the way I, I – I feel like they've come together. Matt Rule just has them moving in the right direction. I can't wait to see what that rebuild looks like. Uh, because of the way the offense has evolved. They weren't great offensively across the board yesterday, but some pieces offensively, some good play calling, and a really young defense that has shown flashes. Mm -hmm. So Carolina wins. Then the other AF uh, NFC East matchup, the Cowboys beat the Eagles. And this was a Cowboys offense. When Andy Dalton took over, it was like, all right, it won't be as good as Dak, but with these playmakers, he should still produce. Like I, My prediction was he was going to come out with like 100 passer rating this year, and yeah. Jerry Jones is going to talk him out of Dak. That's what it was supposed to look like. Yeah, he was going to talk himself out of Dak because Dalton's put up numbers with these playmakers. And the Eagles defense has been absolutely torched in recent weeks. Have to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. But this, you know, with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb, this is what it was supposed to look like for Dallas along the way. It is, yeah, and... The talent was always there. The problem when Dak did go down, as he said, look, the offensive line has been in ribbons anyway. Is that good enough to prevent the rest of this unit functioning? And, you know, it has been a it has been at times. It has not been at times. But this is what this offense was supposed to look like. There's an absurd amount of talent on this offense. And Andy Dalton is not a train wreck as a quarterback if you give him some time and some space to work with. So that was one element of this this is what Dallas is supposed to look like and by the way the Dallas Cowboys now have a real shot of winning the NFC East after the just like biblical plague of a season that's been set upon them in 2020 suddenly could be hosting a postseason game like that's 20 that's insane right 2020 in a nutshell um on the other side we talked earlier about luck and how important that is in football games Jalen Hurts had been riding his luck for those first two games. Yes, he provided this immediately higher baseline than Carson Wentz. On the other hand, he had, was it five turnover-worthy plays heading into this game with no interceptions, right? He had been essentially dodging a few bullets and riding his luck, and that was changing a little bit of how you think things were actually going, right? If Carson Wentz had avoided a bunch of turnovers because they bounced away, the Eagles would have been more productive with Carson Wentz. This game was that going all the way back, right? He got the what was turnover luck in his favor became turnover luck against him to the point where they were giving actual turnovers against him on plays where his knee was down and it shouldn't have been a fumble. Like that was a curious call. But this is too. like this is how transient that kind of stuff is, right? Hertz has yet to have a good PFF grade for a game, um, and bef like, while his um, baseline is a little bit higher and steadier than Wentz has been. It's not like he'd been setting the world on fire and looking like a, a surefire superstar going forward. And the concern was if those turnover plays start bouncing in the other direction and his grade stays at this level, suddenly we're not in a good place anymore. And that's basically what happened here, right? The turnover started to bounce away from him and now you're still grading at like 60 and therefore we can't score against Dallas. Yeah, again, I mean, they only ended up scoring 17 yesterday. 81-yard touchdown by Deshaun Jackson. All of which came in the first half. Yes. Deshaun Jackson having 80-yard touchdowns still is incredible, by the way. Um, 
that was what the Eagles offense was supposed to look like too, by the way, having Deshaun Jackson and not necessarily Quez Watkins who had 57 yards on two catches, but like just having the speed yeah. that they added this offseason and having that big playability, at least they showed flashes of it. But yeah, they got shut down in the second half. So Hurts from a passing grade standpoint is very similar to Wentz this season in, in Hurts' three starts, but he had 69 yards on the ground. And again, it's supposed to be this little bit of value add, but I don't think the crazy excitement that everybody had was warranted. And we've said that the last couple weeks. So there's still a lot to work out with Hertz. And a lot of his plays, he does create some plays outside of structure where he gets out of the pocket, finds open receivers. It, there, it's just not clean down to down. He started, he's taken nine sacks over the last two weeks. That was the big criticism of Carson Wentz. And again, the, the turnover-worthy plays. And was one of the big reasons for optimism after week one, right? Oh, look, right. Hertz comes in, doesn't take a sack. Everything's a lot better. Like, yeah, but, you know, next week, like, again, it's, it's, it's very easy to get drawn into these small sample size things and make giant sweeping statements um, and head yourself down in the wrong direction. But Jalen Hurts has not graded particularly well. I do think he's been better than Carson Wentz in chief because Wentz was just causing all kinds of his own problems, right? Jalen Hurts is not necessarily causing most of his own problems, but he hasn't shown this like huge upside uh, that a lot of people were crediting him for in those first couple of games. And I think, I'm not saying that like his future is, has got no hope, right? There's some really encouraging signs. He's made some big plays. He's got some big time throws in there. Like there's been a lot of good in Jalen Hurts as well, but like he hasn't shown you that he's the answer for 2021 and beyond, right? Like, that was the thing that people were saying. It's, oh, well, Carson Wentz is done now. Jalen, This is Jalen Hurts' team. He's never getting the job back. Like, I, you can't make that determination based off what you've seen from Jalen Hurts so far. No, I completely agree that he's not locked in as the guy. Or, it, you know, again, we don't overreact here on the PFF NFL podcast. We said a few weeks ago, no matter what happens in these four games, unless he looks like you know, Russell Wilson or right. Andrew Luck. I mean, if he looks like or the Dak, dude. Yeah, Dak Prescott. Dak, right. Immediately obvious right out of the gate that this is completely different. And people tried to make that claim after a week or two weeks, and it just wasn't the case. The grade never matched that hype. Now, on the other side of the coin, you have Andy Dalton, who has been the model of consistency the last few weeks. Passing grades, 70, 70, 71, 70, 71. 78 he's now the most consistent quarterback in the nfc east andy dalton and if the cowboys beat the giants next week and the eagles beat the football team dallas cowboys win the nfc east and they will host they will host the tampa bay bucks in the first round so um the other we'll, we'll talk about the giants in a minute here um per field yates the giants have the ability to pick number three overall <laughs> or win the NFC East next week, <laughs> which I love. And I think to get to the number three pick overall, they need like every bad team to right. win, right? But I just love that that's a range of outcomes for the New York Giants. For they lost 17. to the Ravens 27-13, and it, it wasn't even that close. The yeah. Ravens you know, pretty much dominated that first half and beyond. Yeah, true. But the Giants could be anywhere. And I love that. Yeah, a range of outcomes in Week 17 that goes from the third overall pick to hosting a postseason game is pretty impressive. Um, so so the, um, the Giants and Cowboys need – they're rooting for the Eagles. It might feel dirty, Dallas and Giants fans, but you're rooting for the Eagles. The Eagles are the only team in the East right now that cannot win the division. Yeah. The Giants and Cowboys are rooting for the Eagles to beat the football team, and then the winner of Giants-Cowboys 
hosts a playoff game, Sam, and the loser picks in the top ten. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I can't wait. I don't even know. Like, what would you? Pref- what's better? <laughs> That's the weird thing about this. Is like, because you're not. I mean, okay, even if you host the playoff game, you're not winning. Right? I made I made the point on the daily about the Dolphins, and I think they're a playoff caliber team this year. I don't think the Dolphins are fool's gold. It's like this upward trajectory where like you kind of want to play a playoff game and it's part of your development as for the Dolphins. I think if it's the Giants or the Cowboys, based off what we've seen this year, it's fool's gold. I, I think you just don't you'd rather the pick over likely losing to the Bucks in a home game in the playoffs. That's just my I feeling. think every team though works on the basis that once you make it to the dance anything can happen. Don't isn't that how NFL people think like nobody's thinking hey even if we make the playoffs we're well, what done like we're getting, how they think. we're getting booted out it's a good development thing and we learn how to we learn about postseason football they're like no if we get there we can you know we, all we have to do, it's 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 a few little one-off games anything I, can happen i will say not to it, we're 15 games removed from our preseason takes but the cowboys did feel like a playoff caliber team like super bowl contender this year with dak they, prescott yeah, and that's that offense, supposed right? to be so with Dalton's playing as efficient as he is right now, if he just puts up 70 passing grades every week with those playmakers, yep. they could put points up. So Dallas would be the one team I think could go in there and say, you know what, we could actually we could beat the Bucs. We could do some damage in the playoffs because they're rounding into form very, very late here, and the defense hasn't been as atrocious as they were earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, Ravens' takeaway is what we've said the last few weeks. They're going to look like last year's Ravens. Yeah. Um, they ran – for 249 yards you got 10 plus carries from Gus Edwards from Lamar Jackson from J.K. Dobbins they all averaged at least 5.7 per carry this is the 2019 Ravens Lamar only throws the ball 26 times passer rating of 111 yeah a couple nice red zone passes I mean that is the Ravens rounding into form while also playing some of the worst teams in the league down the stretch yeah it's another one of those games where it's like okay yeah this is this is what it was supposed to look like but can you actually take anything away from it given the opposition and given you know they were they were set up to succeed and they succeeded so what do you take from that do you do you take from is the result the important thing that okay they succeeded so we can move on and build on that or is it that this was a product of being set up to succeed and do well i think and i'm not this isn't a Ravens specific thing. This is throughout the NFL, particularly this week. There's just been so many of these games where the takeaway is almost, well, this was inevitable. This is how it was supposed to happen. So I don't know what you learn from this. Um, the Ravens, they were, I mean, they're probably going to win next week as well. They, they're trying to get into those playoff spots. They're trying to jump back in there, having, you know, slipped out when they had their, their woes. Um, I think they will end up making it, but, I don't know if if that's because they've gone on this run of bad defenses. Like if if the team that looks like 2019 Baltimore is actually back, or if they just face teams that are bad enough for them to look that way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of both. We also debated who the best team is in the AFC North last week on the daily, and that you know I I like the way the Ravens are trending, even if it is expected. If you put the Ravens up against the Browns or the Steelers right now, I'm taking I like the Ravens, right? So I think they're I can't wait to watch this AFC playoff picture unfold because there's going to be so many good games there um two other games to get through this week i want to touch on bengals texans bengals win 37 to 31 uh my next door neighbor bengals fan very upset that the bengals were winning yesterday and i think bengals fans in general are very upset that they won because they're not picking number three 
any longer. The number three pick is actually going to the Houston Texans, which is really going to the Miami Dolphins. Mm. So that was the that was those were the implications of yesterday's game. Thank you, Bill. So the Dolphins are now not locked in, but they're as of right now picking number three overall with the Texans pick while going to the postseason. While going to the postseason, but the Bengals fans are upset because the offensive line's bad. You got to protect Joe, Joe Burrow and Panay Sewell is their guy, right? It's going to go QB, QB, run to the podium, go get Panay Sewell, get your tackle for the next 10 years, that whole yada, yada, yada deal. Move Jonah Williams to the right side. However, what if this is a blessing in disguise for the Bengals? I love a good offensive tackle. I love creeping back toward average on the offensive line. Mm. But what if, it's a, what if it's a playmaker for Joe Burrow? A.J. Green's going to be moving on, and you get a Devontae Smith, or you get a Jamar Chase. You get J Chase back with Burrow. You know, what if they actually get a playmaker? T. Higgins is looking pretty good on the other. What if you get a playmaker and you just you actually do just creep back toward average on the offensive line and you start to surround Joe Burrow with playmakers? It might actually pan out for the Bengals. Um, but in this game, Brandon Allen absolutely balled out. Conservative game plan, but when they threw the ball down the field, he was awesome. Yeah, which so. is one of the more unexpected things to happen this season. Um, yeah, I was just about to check if that happened, and Austin lets me know that T. Higgins did, in fact, break Chris's rookie record for receptions in a season. Happened this week. The game That's is fair. Pour one out for Chris. Pour one out. It's pretty impressive that we're the— in a, uh, We're in a new studio, so I'm not going to pour Again, it, just, speaking of, like, yeah. records that have hung around for a while, I'm not saying the boss is old, but, you know, he played in the 80s. Yeah, like run first pass. Yeah. Uh, run first offense and all that stuff. Right. T. Higgins just just took away his record. Chris was good. Yeah. He was a, a six. He was he was Mike Evans before Mike Evans. Six Mike five Evans speedster without the the tack gloves. Dude, With no gloves. Bare hands out there yeah. in the freezing cold trying to catch a brick of a football. I saw somebody also trying to. <laughs> you know, how Chris always talks about the fifty nine below game, the AFC yeah. championship game against the Chargers that one year, whatever it was. Um, somebody was like, well, actually, it was only like minus 38. The way they measured it is completely yeah, off. So, yeah, that makes a real so difference. eat that, Chris. It was only minus 38, not minus 59. Hmm. Let the record show. Um, so, yeah, I just think, you know, Bengals are playing hard these last couple of weeks. And the offense, I I've seen I've seen signs of life, I think, from Zach Taylor, offensive, from a, a coaching standpoint, from the Bengals, getting a little bit more creative offensively, creating more offense across the board. So I think that's – I think Bengals fans also wanted to see something out of him. Yeah, in his usually. two years, right? Um, and that, I think, is at least trending in the right direction. On the Houston side, it's just very sad defensively how mm. bad they are. Yes. Very sad. They are bad. As also, excellent as Brandon Allen was, it was like, man, they, Houston just can't stop anybody. They really can. And it's, it's another game where Deshaun Watson – you know, was <laughs> poor Deshaun Watson. Like, the dude is just out there trying to get this all done by himself. Played a solid game. And kind of succeeding, right? He's actually, again, he's he's now one game away from going the whole season without having a bad game. Like, this is Patrick Mahomes' levels of absurdity, except Patrick Mahomes had a bad game yesterday. Um, Mahomes, Mahomes has had multiple bad right. games this year. Mahomes is also surrounded by this insane supporting cast of coach receiving group travis kelsey everything right deshaun watson is out there on his own now with brandon cooks back this week desperately trying to be anything north of like a disaster overall for his team like jj watt is out there you know giving these press conference speeches about how like we are getting paid a fortune to play a game of course you can go out there and give it 100 percent 
for everybody else who's invested in this, right? You, so the least you can do is be invested in this late in the season when you don't have anything to play for. Him and Deshaun Watson, like Watson's season is incredible this year, given what's been taken away from him and what he has to work with. It might be the most impressive quarterback performance in the NFL. Forget Aaron Rodgers, forget Mahomes, forget Russell Wilson. Deshaun Watson is doing more with less than anybody else in the NFL right now, a quarterback. And it's still not enough to beat the Bengals. The one thing else, it's more with less as a team. I, I do, you know, your original point before the season was with no no DeAndre Hopkins, we're going to see the best Deshaun Watson. That has been true. Uh, Brandon Cooks ended up being a really nice addition for them. So they, my big thing with Watson is he's still producing without Will Fuller. We hadn't seen that previously. Um, I will credit Farrell Brown and uh, Darren Fells decided to become unstoppable, untackleable tight ends down the stretch in the second half. So they made some big plays for the Texans as well. Also couldn't project the uh, Samaj P. Ryan breakout game, 95 yards on the ground and two scores and a bunch of catches. How damaging is that trade though? Where like, okay, you've got Laramie Tunsil. On the other hand, now everything's been blown up. You have Deshaun Watson in desperate need of help and your top five pick is in Miami's hands. So just for perspective, yes. So the Texans got two years of Laramie Tunsil and a well above average left tackle play. But if they were picking number three overall, they'd say, okay, we'll take Panay Sewell. They'll, they'll get their tackle, right? That was the pick that they got for Tunsil. Uh, yeah, just long-term team building strategy-wise, trading high picks year over year mm. is what adds up to a talent deficiency it's such for the a weird... Texans. You could do it once in a while. You pick your spots, but you need your talent base to be coming from the draft, and the Texans absolutely do not have that. It's such a weird job because on the one hand, you have the best starting point available in terms of have a young top five quarterback who's playing out of his mind with no help. On the yep. other hand, I have nothing to work with to build around him. Like I have no, I don't have my draft picks at the top of the draft. I like, I don't have the capacity to put a team around this guy to the point where he's capable of winning. Yeah. I mean, look, if they, if they just get a little bit better next year though, you get Trevor Lawrence in that, into that division, the AFC South becomes one of the most fun divisions in football. Let's wrap it up with AFC West battle, Denver Broncos at the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers win 19 to 16. Broncos tried to make the comeback. Your boy, Jerry Judy just can't catch the ball. Yeah. Just a, an amazing disconnect. Drew Locke was inaccurate for the for the majority of the game, but when he would make a good throw, Judy's going to drop it. It was just this back and forth. Denver can't move the ball because either the quarterback's missing or the good receiver is not catching the ball. Look, I love Jerry Judy because his route running is just pure, unadulterated sexiness, right? So I'm going to try and find excuses for Jerry Judy. Can we get that on social media? Do you remember when Steve Smith was on this show and he said, you know, if you're not given the ball early and often, you can get in your own head. And when it arrives, you start to like body catch it. You don't, you know, you're like, you you start to tighten up. The ball hasn't arrived. I know this is my chance. I got to make it. I, Jerry Judy, the baseline of quarterback play that he has had to work with is so bad that on the rare occasion the ball actually finds its way to him, he just chokes and drops it. And it's just sad, no it's unfortunate, excuse, man. but it's not his fault. Five drops. I'm a, I'm a big drops are overrated guy. I don't, you know, drops are overrated. Getting open is the most important thing. Yeah. Judy gets open. He, you know, if you get open over the – if you just catch – if you catch 80% of your passes that are catchable, that's bad. But it's still better than not getting open, you know, 50% of the time, right? Yeah. But five drops in a game, man, yeah, not on ideal. 15 targets, that is rough. Not ideal. Most in a game by anybody this season. 
But uh, I'm still a Jerry Judy believer as well. And when I look, look, Locke was to blame as well for a lot. Locke, he made some good throws, some bad, as I said. When I still look at this offense, Deshaun Hamilton does some nice things. I know he might not be around, but and Tim Patrick might not be around. But I like what they built from a playmaker standpoint. I want to see a quarterback out there who can distribute uh, consistently. And uh, you're still not seeing that from the Broncos. Uh, okay game from Justin Herbert on the other side with the Chargers. Uh, they find a way to win, and you know they're finishing the season okay here. The funny thing is, this was like the game that Judy has been crying out for for most of the season in terms of like high volume targets. Most of them were actually where they needed to be. Hit him, you know, eleven catchable passes thrown his way. Like this is the game that hasn't been there for all season, where you're like, God, if Judy could just get some reliable quarterback play, hitting him with the ball, he'd make a few more of those you know catches get have a few more opportunities get him in the zone and then you get that big 100 yard game that he's had what once this season um you actually had it and then dropped five passes it's like damn it jerry come on help me out here you know i've been campaigning in your behalf for a better quarterback if you're gonna you know you need to at least catch the ball next year he'll figure my my one concern with judy is being that high volume like over the middle catch the ball in traffic type of guy and he made he makes some nice throws and catches in traffic too but him compared to justin jefferson or compared to cd lamb coming out i felt like those guys were a little bit better than judy from that yeah i mean to my original comp with him was he's calvin ridley but played at like 120 percent speed right if you could you know the, the percentage bar if you could dial calvin ridley up to like 120 percent that's jerry judy he's quicker he's faster um, in terms of ri- running his routes, stringing moves together, all those things. But <clears throat> I think it also comes with the same limitations that Calvin Ridley had, right? Which is he doesn't attack the ball tremendously well in the air. He's not the most natural hands catcher in the world. He's going to drop some passes. The sort of the basic ball skills part of it is not great. But I would usually take a guy, if you can only have one, I would prefer a guy that will get the hell open every single play versus a guy who will catch everything thrown his way but will never be open, right? So like if Kelvin Benjamin or Nikhil Harry had the best hands and contested catch skills in the world, I would take the guy that will be open every snap but might drop Absolutely. a bunch of passes. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're seeing with Judy. The drops have been more of a problem this year than they should be. But I think, you know, we've seen that. Amari Cooper is a good example, right? Amari Cooper has those seasons where he drops like 15 passes. He, he drops them in bunches. Right. And you're like, come on, what, what, why are you doing this? I think the same thing's true with Judy. And I think it probably gets magnified when you have a bad baseline of quarterback play coming your way. It's probably in your head to a degree that, you know, God, I'm not going to get many of these. I should, I need to catch them. So, yeah, Judy's part of his own problem in terms of dropping the ball. But long term, I think the floor is so high for a guy that just gets that open consistently. I mean, there was a play against, was it Mike Davis, where he just made him fall over running an in route? Like, that's hard. You can't teach that, right? There's a degree yeah. of, of sophistication to that level of route running that's invaluable. And that turns what could be a, a contested catch, you know, a tight coverage situation, a tough throw for quarterback into <laughs> the corner fell over. I got 10 yards to pitch this into. T.Y. Hilton also made a corner fall yesterday on, a, on an out route. And I'm thinking, as I'm thinking of it, that might actually be a pretty good proxy for, for yeah. Judy and what he's capable of. So I'm not ready to give up on Judy despite six catches, five drops. I want to get out of here on this. Do your little Drew Locke, Justin Herbert comparison. <laughs> I was just, you know, those old like, you know, Looney Tunes cartoons or whatever, where there's a guy and he's got the, the good, good version of himself, mini angel on one shoulder and the bad version of himself, the little devil on the other shoulder. It feels like Justin Herbert and Drew Locke are like the angel and devil of the same quarterback somewhere along the line. 
And even when you, you know, they both got great arms. They've both got this sort of height, weight, size, stature of a quarterback. They look like NFL quarterbacks. They've got like the same 40 time, the same short shuttle time, the same three cone. Justin Herbert's a little bit more explosive in terms of, you know, jumping numbers and has a bit better of an arm, but they both got cannons. But Herbert has like all of the stuff worked out, right? Like he's incredibly good under pressure so far in year one. He's, he's good under the blitz. He, um, understands when to take like the easy check down and not try and do too much play hero ball drew lock is like the other end of the scale like just cannot work out when to cut bait on a play and move on to the next one he's got like a grade in the 20s under pressure he's got a, a pass rating in the 20s under pressure drew locks pass rating under pressure is 10 points worse than if every time he was pressured he ran around in a circle and threw the ball at the floor like that's how bad he's been under pressure so if, it, it just feels like somewhere along somewhere there's like a cartoon quarterback and that's the the angel and devil version of the same guy not a, I don't completely agree across the board I do think Herbert's a little bit more talented but I think the premise is fine I also think from a Drew Locke standpoint as much as we've trashed him this is going to end up being one of his best passing grades of yeah. his career and it's the second time he's had a really good passing grade and everybody's let him down so when right. I talk about supporting cast it's not always they're going to catch everything. It's just like they're creating open throws. And that's what I think you see in Dallas. That's what you see in Buffalo. And I think you see that in Denver. Locke made a lot. Like every time he did make a good right. throw, yeah, yeah. it just wasn't showing up. On the I had another sheet. analogy, if you prefer this one. You ever see the movie Twins? Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. and Danny DeVito? So the story it's was... Like you and me. Huh? Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, it's perfect. So the story there was that like Arnie was this genetic experiment taken from all the greatest scientists and strongmen and whatever. Like the, the perfect genetic pool of uh human right and then danny devito his twin was like the genetic waste that was left over from that so justin herbert is like the perfect formulation of an nfl quarterback and drew Locke is like uh you know related to him but didn't get quite the same genetic benefits you know got got what was left over he's danny devito all i know is my charger fan is so excited that you have come around on justin herbert and called him perfect genetic specimen there you go that'll do it for week 16 bills patriots tonight monday night football we'll be back here on thursday previewing all of the crazy week 17 action we'll have scenarios galore all scenarios for the playoffs uh be sure to again check out the pff nfl daily check out chris collinsworth's podcast anywhere you guys find your podcast right here and uh, don't forget our friends over at monkey knife fight go get your pff edge at monkey knife fight because it's going away soon thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll be back on thursday